Hello and welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we'll have our coverage of the Winnipeg Foundation's Charitable Sector Insights 2019, The Trust Edition. We'll bring you highlights from the panel discussion, which included Joan Blight of Strategic Philanthropy, Paul Simin of the Winnipeg Free Press, Leilani Kagan from TDS Law, and Bruce McDonald from Imagine Canada. We'll hear their perspectives on the charitable sector and how the public's trust may be in jeopardy. Then, flowers and modern art meet at the Winnipeg Art Gallery as part of Art in Bloom. We'll speak with Henny Corinne, co-chair of the Art in Bloom Committee, to learn more about this beautiful floral biennial event. And as we've been covering for a few weeks now, the Winnipeg Foundation announced a reconciliation granting stream earlier this year, and we've been speaking to each of the grant recipients one by one. This week we'll speak with Rain Graff from IRCOM. We'll hear how their grant is helping to build relationships in our community. And finally, we'll speak with another group of Winnipeg impact makers, the Dawson Trail Knitters for Charity. We're going to learn how this group of amazing individuals is working to help those in need in our community with our conversation with their coordinator, Jean Paraschek. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Welcome to River City 360. Nolan and Robert coming at you from the CJNU studios. We're back here in the studio. As you know, they were uh, live all week from here. So it's good to be kind of back in the studio with the old headphones on and uh, and talking to you, Robert. Absolutely. Can you uh, hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Loud and yeah. clear, hey? Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's cool being back in the environment for it's sure. It's always good seeing people walk by. If you're ever in the, in the Richardson building, come on down to the concourse. Uh, and you check out CJNU. You can usually see people broadcasting every morning, so come on down, give them a wave, give them a high five through the glass. Or even come to check out, uh, they've got a really cool um, collection of old radios. Yeah, pretty Those cool. Those are super interesting. That's, so We just noticed it today. There's a whole bunch of sort of... Uh, archival uh some old records, records yeah. and some old memorabilia from uh, from radio in winnipeg from back in the day so it's pretty cool stuff yeah mm. if you're interested in the history of manitoba radio come on down and check it out because they're always happy to say hello to the cjnu listeners out there and it's always a good time to uh come and learn about the history of radio Today we're going to be learning about quite a few different things. We're going to be talking to many different people, uh, but up first we're going to be uh, giving our coverage of the Charitable Sector Insights 2019 event that the Winnipeg Foundation hosted earlier this week. It was all about trust, and so like trust of the public in the charitable sector, trust of the public in different organizations and different nonprofits as well. We're going to uh, just bring you a few highlights of the of the panel discussion that happened earlier this week. Uh, it's a lot to get to, so you know what? Let's just get to how we always kick off River City 360, and that's with a song. So, uh, Robert, you're the song master of the show. What have you got for us this week? Well, seeing as how we're covering uh, Charitable Sector Insights, the Trust Edition, we're going to start things off with Eddie Fisher and Hugo Winterhalter and his orchestra with Trust in Me, right here on River City 360. faith I have in you. 
love will see us through If only you'll trust in me Come to me when things go wrong Cling to me and I'll be strong We can get along As long as you'll trust in me While there's a moon on high While there's a bird to fly While there's a you and I You can be sure I'll love you Stand beside me all the while Face the future with a smile Trust in me and I'll be worthy of you City 360, Nolan and Robert here with you today. And earlier this week, we attended the Winnipeg Foundation's Charitable Sector Insights 2019, the Trust Edition event. The goal was to bring together many of the nonprofits and charities from all around Winnipeg to discuss best practices and basically attend different workshops to improve the organizations. One of the highlights of the event was a panel discussion in the afternoon featuring four differing perspectives when it comes to philanthropy and nonprofits. These four people were Joan Blight of Strategic Philanthropy. She's been on the show before, of course. Paul Simin of the Winnipeg Free Press. Leilani Kagan from TDS Law, who's also been on the show. And another friend of the show, Bruce McDonald from Imagine Canada. They shared some of uh, their thoughts on trust, and that was the theme of the, of the event. But uh, we're going to bring you some highlights from the panel discussion at the end of the day. Up first was Joan Blight, President and Managing Consultant of Strategic Philanthropy. She spoke uh, on the panel about the difference between the nonprofit sector and the private sector counterparts when it comes to basically limitations and different opportunities that the different groups had. It's what business executives don't know but should about nonprofits. It's harder to succeed because goals are more complex and more intangible than, the, than in the private sector. CEOs wield less authority and control than their private sector counterparts and yet have a broader uh, range of stakeholders. The sector is underfunded, under-resourced, and under-trained, as we all know. And the sector itself has a unique cult- culture based on consensus building, cooperation, collaboration. There's the challenge of measurement, of evaluation, and impact. 
and communication is critically important. In this article that I just referenced, there's a wonderful quote by Judy Vredenberg, who's the former CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters in the US. And in it she says, every time we in nonprofits satisfy customers, we drain resources. And every time for-profits satisfy, satisfy a customer, they get resources back. It sounds very simple, but it has huge implications. Joan also talked about how just in one year, the level of trust that people have in the charitable institutions has rapidly declined. And she cited some other interesting findings from Imagine Canada and other institutional studies. For almost 20 years, surveys in Canada uh, and there's a, there's a variety of them, have shown that trust around the sector is in the mid-70s. However, last year, the Edelman Barometer of Trust showed that, that there was a huge change from the prior year, and it went from 74% to 65% in the informed population, and from 59 to 50% among the general population. In Imagine Canada's study, Barriers to Giving More, which covered 30 years of giving in Canada and was published last year, here are some of the stated concerns. 29% of the participants would not, were concerned that organizations would not use funds efficiently or effectively, that they wouldn't be able to explain where or how the donation would be spent. There's too much money spent on fundraising, not having an impact on the cause or the community they're trying to help. Clearly, communication with donors is key. And then there's the age-old question, what percentage of my donation goes to the cause versus overhead? Dan Pallotta, a US speaker, inventor of multi-day charity events and well-known author of The Way We Think About Charities Is Dead Wrong, says, first, it makes us think that question, makes us think that overhead's a negative and that somehow it's not part of the cause. It absolutely is, and especially when it's being used for growth. This idea that overhead is somehow an enemy of the cause creates the second much larger problem, which, which is that it then forces organizations to go without the things that they really need to grow. Up next was Paul Simin, editor of the Winnipeg Free Press. So as we mentioned, the theme of the event was trust, and he spoke at length about the importance of trust and how the trust has, over the years, kind of evolved, or devolved or evolved, however you want to look at it, over the last couple of decades. People need to trust your organizations that when they give you money, you're going to do what they want you to do and what they value to do. Since 1872, uh, our tradition is, is based on trust. If people don't trust what we're publishing, they're not going to come to us. So trust is important to you. It's important to me. Every, I think everyone recognizes the importance of trust. I'm going to argue that today, while trust isn't any less important than it's ever been, it's probably in less supply. We don't necessarily know who we can trust. We don't, there is so much going on in this information age that there is more misinformation, more mischief, and more problematic the platforms that we're using to communicate, we're not even sure we can trust them. Paul Simon, editor of the Winnipeg Free Press, also talked about the post-truth world that we're living in now and how, you know, the era of fake news and many people not able to really discern truth from lies and how that pertains to the charitable sector as well. In this sort of post-truth world that we're living in, there's all these other things going on. There's all the discussion about fake news and increasingly, 
people don't know who to believe. Or worse, people are believing things that aren't true. That common sort of baseline of understanding, trusted water coolers that everyone went to aren't there anymore. Back in the day, back when trust wasn't receding, like my hairline, you saw what I did there, we didn't have the same media options, and, we and the institutions that we looked to to make donations to were long-standing institutions in the community. People knew about the Winnipeg Foundation. People knew about the Canadian Cancer Society. People knew about the United Way. There was no GoFundMe thing out there. Up next was Leilani Kagan. She approached the discussion from a legal perspective, uh, being a, a lawyer at TDS Law. She works with charities to help them meet the legal standards to achieve and maintain legal status and registration. This whole discussion talks about trust with donors and how they get to that position of trust. And from a legal perspective, I see it as, we've used this word accountability, you have two people in my world you have to be accountable to. One is your, to the public, to the donors, but then also from my perspective, it's to CRA. And getting to that uh, accountability with CRA gets you a long way, in my view, to accountability within the community. Lilana continued about the importance of accountability when it comes to the general public versus the CRA and the importance of reporting back to the people who support these organizations. So from the public accountability standpoint, you're, you're sort of asking the same questions that CRA would ask. They ask it of you in lots of forms, but it's really a basis for how you can then report to the public. You know, are you meeting your mandate? Are you expending resources on charitable activities? Are you fundraising? If so, are you meeting CRA's fundraising guidelines? Um, and then lastly, are you, how are you making the community aware of what you're doing? Now, CRA doesn't care about that last point. They don't care. They, as long as if you have a website, you're making the required disclosure on your website. That last point is what, what we're talking about now. You can fulfill all your CRA requirements, but if nobody knows about it, you're not going a long way to this donor accountability and to the uh, transparency that we've spoken about. The final panelist was Bruce McDonald, another friend of the show. He's been on River City 360 in the past. Uh, he talked about the trends of you know, crowdfunding versus the scrutiny that uh, actual registered charities are facing when doing their work. Charities today operate in a world of contradictions and paradoxes. From individuals who will put up a crowdfunding site that their aunt needs a life-saving operation, people donate to that with the hope that the money goes, or that they even have an aunt, in the first place, and that it goes for that life-saving life operation, yet charities operate in an era of unprecedented scrutiny to account for every single dollar. Um, at the same time, society refuses to accept data that says that, study after study, that shows that organizations that have adequate infrastructure and capacity support deliver better program outcomes. And yet there is a continued tension with, well, I'm not going to give you more than 15%. 15% is the top. Even though it might require more money to effectively operate the organization. Before posing his question to the audience, Bruce also talked about the global mistrust of institutions and how that's affecting local charities and nonprofits. So we see trust in, in government going down, trust in business going down, trust in leadership going down. All you have to do is cast around the, an eye on the news what's going on in the world right now, and it makes you nervous about leadership. So you operate locally, locally, yet you're affected by global trends. 
So how do you connect these dots and how are you dealing with this paradox? Thank you to Bruce McDonald, to Leilani Kagan, and to Paul Simin and Joan Blight for speaking to us and for uh, giving their insights on the panel. There were some great insights, and if this is something that you're interested in learning a little bit more about, whether it's in Winnipeg or on a national scale, uh, Bruce McDonald, of course, is the president of Imagine Canada, and Imagine Canada has a ton of great resources to read about. So you can check out their website to learn more at imaginecanada.ca. That's all one word, imaginecanada.ca. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up next, spring is in the air, flowers are in bloom, and that means that Art in Bloom is taking place at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. The biennial event is back, and we'll learn more about it taking place next weekend from Henny Corrin, the co-chair of the Art in Bloom committee. But first, we're going to hear Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass with Flowers on the Wall right here on River City 360. To River City 360, Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined via telephone by Henny Corin. She is the co-chair of the committee that's putting on Art in Bloom at the Winnipeg Art Gallery from April 11th to April 14th. Henny, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. To summarize Art in Bloom, it's an event where floral designs meet art, essentially. I understand that in Winnipeg it goes back. There were a couple of events held in the 1990s, but the inspiration, I understand, comes from different galleries in the United States. And I think the first one was held in the mid-1970s. Tell us a little bit about Art in Bloom and how it began here in Winnipeg. 
Um, you're right. It it has been here years years ago, and then it stopped. And we thought we would. Um, Hazel Boris and I are co-chairing the event, the event, and we thought it was time to resurrect it. One of the mission statements of the art gallery in here in Winnipeg is to be um, almost like a community, a place for people to gather and and feel welcome. And uh, we wanted to come up with this idea that would encourage people who don't typically come to the art gallery to maybe think about um, embracing it because flowers are just something that people do gravitate to. So we started um, two years ago in 2017 was the first time that we've brought it back. And um, we're going to go forward every two years with this event. Going back to what you said about welcoming Sometimes maybe some people feel that art is not accessible to them, and this is a really cool way to open it up to a whole new audience. Well, that, and that's exactly what we had hoped for, and in fact, um, it, it sort of trans, transferred that way in 2017. Comments from people that hadn't been to the art gallery in a long time and just were so pleased, um, you know, to, to see what what off what was offered. And the way we, um, we we choose different pieces of art, this year there's going to be 80 different pieces of art up for interpretation. And it takes you really to all corners of the um, the Winnipeg Art Gallery. So you get the chance to go into every gallery. And um, we have sculptures that are being interpreted and pictures on the wall. And the major one this year is the, um, the front... Um, um, Eckerd Hall when you walk in there's a beautiful painting by um, Norval Morisot and it's huge and it's going to be interpreted with, with fresh flowers and our, um, our major sponsor is Petals West and they're providing all the flowers for this major installation it's, it's going to be it, I'm trying to give it justice by telling you about it, it's going to be you know, awe-inspiring when you walk in to see it that sounds amazing and, and really cool that, uh, you know, it's not just its own separate exhibit. It's kind of intertwined with everything the art gallery has to offer. Um, well, and, it, and it's about exactly what you say and engaging with the art. You, you take a look at the art and then you look at the floral interpretation. Then you go back to looking at the art. So you're really spending time trying to figure out what the interpreter you know, was thinking when they came up with this floral interpretation. It, it, the engagement piece is fantastic. With an event like this, I'd imagine it takes a lot of flowers to make these pieces happen. How many flowers does it take to actually create these uh, these art pieces? And and maybe what can you speak to some of the uh, what are some of the logistical challenges in um, ensuring that all of these uh, these artworks are are ready to go for the big weekend? Well, I mean, timing is, is a big deal. You can't start preparing your floral interpretation until probably, you know, Wednesday before the event opens Thursday evening. So timing is important because you want your flowers to have a good lifespan. We've kind of done a rough calculation that there's going to be over 15,000 stems of flowers wow. involved, if you can imagine that. We have, I think, 800 uh, seven-foot roses that are being brought in especially for Art and Bloom. They were such a huge uh, hit and photo opportunity in 2017. People were just uh, couldn't believe how gorgeous they were, so they're coming back. But but it's timing. It's the type of thing that you can't, you can prepare your ideas, and we have to 
um, choose our flowers. The Petals West um, lets us come into their coolers and choose the flowers that we want um, want to use for our interpretation. And so the planning part happens over the course of, you know, a number of months. But the actual putting the flowers into the foam or the water, it, it's just days before. Beyond the exhibits, there's also a series of workshops that uh, that people can take part in that are happening throughout the weekend. Tell us about uh, about a few of those. We have um, a couple of different um, hands-on workshops where you get to touch and play with flowers. And um, we're encouraging people to sign up sooner rather than later because there is a cutoff number per workshop. And we're learning from professionals in the industry who are showing us the tricks of the trade and just they've ordered in flowers for these workshops that maybe we typically wouldn't get a chance to play with. And um, there, the um, we did it in 2017 and it was just a, a huge hit. People loved being creative and loved learning from somebody who could, you know, show them things that they didn't know. So the workshops um, are all happening as well. We have some free talks and um, Dr. Boris is talking about, um, how still life and painting and flowers, it, the history behind that. Um, Hazel and I are doing talking about the science and um, healing of nature and flowers. Uh, we have another woman, Dawn Ormiston, who is telling us the flowers, how their journey from when they're cut from the farm and what happens t- till they get to, you know, the florist here in Winnipeg. So we've got some really, oh, and there's one on meditation that's going to be flowers and meditation and how that affects our our well-being. So we have a variety of things happening um, over the course of the three days. Um, There's um, going to be fresh food available, coffee shop, um, handmade chocolates, um, baking, um, live music. Like it's going to be a feast for every sense. As the co-chair of the committee, you've led the way in bringing the event back. Why was it important for you personally to be so involved and to bring Art and Bloom back to a regular biennial event? You know, I guess a couple of reasons. Um, it's 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 what the what flowers can do and what flowers and art can do and how it, it it's something simple that has a major effect on one's life and. Um, as I said earlier, the art gallery really tries to be something for everybody. And this um, it works in other centers. And we thought, you know, it should work. It should work here. And, and it did. And um, when you say, you know, uh, co-chair of the committee, I have to underline that committee, it takes a huge committee to get this um, this event happening. And volunteers, it wouldn't happen without volunteers. And I know people say, you know, it's without the volunteers, but um, you can imagine 15,000 stems of flowers that needs an army of people to help um, orchestrate that piece. Absolutely. I mean, this isn't something that you can throw together overnight with just a couple of people. It takes a lot of time and, and dedicated volunteers, and it'll be amazing to see next weekend starting April 11th. So April the 11th, is, is um, it's a paid event. That's a $75 ticket. You get to come in ahead of time and enjoy, you know, a glass of wine and some food and get to see the interpretations before it opens up to the public on the, um, on the 12th. What are you hoping that people will take away from the Art and Bloom experience this year? I guess, uh, number one, they realize uh, what the gallery has to offer. That it's, um, 
you know, it's it's something for everybody. That would be number one. And just the power of a single flower that, you know, to have, we don't need 15,000 stems, but even just to have one flower in, in our in our life. And um, that, that's what a lot of the talks and um, presentations are going to be about wellness and healing and nature. And it, it's simple. It, it's a flower. So hopefully if people come away, there's going to be a um, floral pop-up shop that's sponsored by um, Flora Supply. And so people will have a chance to purchase flowers after walking through and seeing all these flowers. So it's, it's you know, understanding how a simple flower can really make a difference in our life. Definitely. And that could inspire so many people to think creatively about maybe flowers in their own yard or other things that they can do to be creative or artistic. Absolutely. It's, it's so simple. We don't have to do a lot with flowers. You know, they do it for us. We just have to put it in a little, <laughs> in a little vase or jar and, um, you know, can be as, as simple as that. Arden Bloom is happening from Friday, April 12th to Sunday, April 14th, with the preview party happening on the evening of Thursday, April 11th. And then workshops are happening all throughout the weekend, along with the talks and, of course, the exhibits. If any of our listeners want to come and check this out and see it for themselves, what's the best way for them to take part? All the information is listed on the website, so it's wag.ca slash AIB for Art and Bloom. And it, you can sign up for workshops online. You can find out when the, um, when the um, uh, free talks are. You can buy tickets to the preview party. It's all online. And it's, um, there's posters around the city. Maybe people have seen the posters. It's, um, or they can phone. And somebody will you know, happily share more details with them. Great. Well, thank you so much, Henny, for speaking with me today about Art in Bloom, and we wish you all the best with this year's event. Oh, thanks, Robert. I appreciate it, and I hope you get a chance to come and see it for yourself. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, Sunny Promolo brings us another in our series that's covering the reconciliation granting stream from the Winnipeg Foundation. Rain Graff of Earcom will help tell us a little bit about their project and how it's going to help form solid relationships within our community. Before we get to that, though, here's Patsy Klein with Today, Tomorrow, and Forever. You're listening to River City 360 on 93.7 CJNU.
Thanks for listening to River City 360. I'm Sonny Promolo. As you may know, the Winnipeg Foundation recently announced a million-dollar reconciliation granting stream, and we at River City 360 have been speaking with all of the grant recipients to learn about them. Joining me today is Rain Graff, Volunteer Coordinator from the Immigrant and Refugee Community Organization of Manitoba, otherwise known as ERCOM, one of the reconciliation grant recipients. Thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you. Before we learn about the specific grant, could you please tell our listeners what ERCOM is and it's important in the city of Winnipeg? Sure. Uh, ERCOM um, is a transitional housing complex. And what we do is we offer supportive transitional housing for newcomers to Canada who have arrived within six months. And so we offer housing as well as supportive programs and services so that we're truly supporting newcomers in settling in their life in Canada. So it's important um, what we do because we want to make sure that people are getting that best fresh start granted where people are coming from in various situations across the world. So we want to make sure that we're supporting them in in their journey because it's a big culture shock when you're moving from one country to another. And and there's so many barriers that people have to overcome. And so we want to help people with that. Reconciliation is an extremely important subject that really does involve all of us. But some think of reconciliation as something between the relationship with settlers and Indigenous people. Uh, Why is it important for newcomers to learn about our nation's Indigenous history and reconciliation, and what is their part? I am an Indigenous woman working here at ERCOM, and so I kind of have a unique perspective on this. Um, One of those is that newcomers are Indigenous to their countries, and so we want to show that there is Indigenous people here as well, and that there's a lot of commonalities between cultures that can tie people together where just like they would be at their home community, we want to encourage people to become really great neighbors with their Indigenous um, members here as well and just try to to build those bridges. So um, ERCOM is also really passionate about doing reconciliation work because that's part of what we do naturally. We are helping newcomers reconcile with living in, in new new places. And so it's just a natural extension t- to want to extend that c- relationship to our Indigenous community as well. Based on your experience working with newcomers and refugee communities, what is one of the biggest misconceptions some newcomers may have about the Indigenous peoples? And what kind of things do you feel should be done to better inform them? Uh, so one of those things is actually they come with preconceived stereotypes based on information of contacts that they have in Canada. And so one of those things is, um, unfortunately, those bad stereotypes of being um, um, homeless or on on the street with, with problems and stuff like that. And then when they meet people, they're like, this isn't what I had in my mind. Um, and so we're a part of facilitating that. There's many steps um, that can be done, including pre-arrival and, and having truly positive and accurate information regarding Indigenous peoples in home countries. Because one of the things that I have learned is that they have very old notions of of racist stereotypes. Those come from old textbooks and and those kinds of things, and they're not accurate, but that information is out there and people value books. Um, and so they're not necessarily thinking of how old that information is. 
Um, so what can be done? Um, well, we're doing it, right? We're having those conversations with people when they arrive here and try and challenge that narrative that they're bringing with them and, and just be that safe space where they can have those conversations with us. So the Winnipeg Foundation recently announced that ERCOM will be one of the grant recipients for its reconciliation granting stream. What was the grant for? The grant was for a common ground initiative, and uh, this project is basically, it's a simple in concept. We want to build relationships between our Indigenous and newcomer uh, communities here in the Centennial and Dufferin West Alexander neighbourhoods. And so a lot of the initiative is going to be groundwork stuff, getting people together, having barbecues, sharing meals, um, trying to have that intercultural exchanges um, so that we can have those conversations and, and get to know each other. How will this impact uh, the Indigenous community and other communities in our city? Well, we hope that we are going to increase safety and, and that people are comfortable with having um, different backgrounds and cultures right in their backyard. We are hoping that we are going to be strengthening our communities um, in, in having that cultural exchange and, and, and also inviting people to ERCOM and also making those connections at, with our staff and our community in a very real way. We invite other communities. Uh, if you're living in the city of Winnipeg and you hope to participate and come check out, like we're gonna have barbecues over the summer. We have events um, hoping all year round. And it's not just going to be for our indigenous newcomer communities. If people are interested in participating, we can arrange for, for that kind of connection as well. If people could just have one takeaway from this program, uh, what would you hope it be? We hope that they make friends and that we are overcoming those stereotypes and preconceived notions that people have of each other and realize that there is so much more in common than there are differences. Is there anything else that you would like to add about ERCOM or the grant program? We're very grateful for the Winnipeg Foundation for providing ERCOM with this funding because it will enrich these two communities and bring people together. For those looking to get more information about ERCOM, where can they go? Uh, you can visit our website at www.ircom.ca and um, all of our information about our, our agency and our programs are there. Thank you again, Rain, for uh, taking the time to speak with us today. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Sunny. Up next, we have our weekly segment, Winnipeg Impact Makers, and this week's Winnipeg Impact Makers are the Dawson Trail Knitters for Charity. There are many great people making an impact in our city, and Sonny Primolo returns to the show to tell us about this great group that are helping those in need. But first, here is Joe Stafford with Warm All Over, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. I'm Sunny Promolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg, and today I'm with Jean Parischuk, one of the coordinators for Dawson Trail Knitters for Charity. Thanks for coming on our show, Jean. Thank you. Thank you for having us. How did this club come to be? Uh, just over a cup of coffee six years ago. There was uh, about half a dozen ladies decided that they would come down here every Wednesday. And as they met, they said, well, this isn't good enough. We should be doing something for charity. And they started making uh, lap covers and afghans, which we donated to the nursing homes. And as the more people that moved in here came in, and we just got bigger by looking out for different people that are less fortunate and donating stuff to them. And now we've got 14 different charities that we donate the stuff that we make to. Approximately how many uh, ladies do you have here doing 26 this? of us right now. You do this all year round? All year round, every Wednesday from 1 to 3, usually we meet over a cup of coffee. And as you noticed, a little snack. What was the reception like when the idea of a knitting group giving those in need came along? Well, it was great. The ladies just felt that, yes, rather than sitting in their apartments, they just wanted to come out and do something. You've decided to partner with many different nonprofit organizations. How did these different partnerships come to be? Like, how did you choose which ones to give to? A lot of them came to us when they got word that we were doing this. And uh, some that we went out and reached out, we just saw that they were doing a great job and keeping the less fortunate uh, warm. And we did that. Can you uh, give us a few names of the different organizations that you've helped out so far? We have Coats for Kids. We have the Christmas Cheer Board. We have uh, Flavet uh, Laurent Institution. We have Salon Mission, Villa Rosa, that's the Unwed Mothers, Osborne House, Ronald McDonald House, Bear Clam, which do a great job, uh, Rosbrook House, St. Amant Center, Salvation Army, Reverie Nursing Home, and for them we do the lap covers and the Afghans, and also for Park Manor Nursing Home. And just recently we've uh, been uh, recognized by the Palliative Care of Manitoba, which we were going to meet with them and see what we could do for them. So you folks are making quite the impact in our community, it seems. And we think we are. We're hoping we are. We enjoy doing it. We just feel good that we 
could get together here as long as we have the bowl. We keep knitting and passing it on, and we know that they appreciate it. We've mentioned uh, quite a few organizations. We mentioned the impact as well. How many items have you given so far? Last year, for the full year, we passed over 1,392 pieces. That's toques, mitts, scarves, sweaters, whatever the ladies knit. And um, the year before, in 2016, it was 1,527. So if we get enough wool donated, we hope to match that up for this year. Have you heard any stories back from the people that have received uh, these items at all? We get thank you notes all the time. Yeah, very appreciative. That's awesome. So I found out about your cause through a post I saw from your MLA, James Tietzema, which is great to see his support for you and um, other organizations. But there's definitely a lot more support that's needed. How can uh, people contact you to provide you with this support? Uh, just by phone. We'll gladly help if we could. And is there a specific phone number that people can reach you at? Triple two one eight six one. So what can people do to support? Uh, well, we need wool. Whatever way, you know, they could get it to us. We need the wool, the acrylic and the washable wools. We can't work with a lot of the wools that aren't for toques and mitts. We don't do that. It's wool that we need for toques and mitts and scarves and sweaters. Is there anything else that you would like to share about the group? Oh, they're wonderful. Look at them. They are. They show up every Wednesday. <laughs> We're always here. Yeah, a super group, a super group. Yeah, no one has to sit in their apartment and wonder how they're going to pass their time when they can come down here. That's so amazing. Thanks to Jean and all of the Dawson Trail Knitters for Charity for sharing their story of giving. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, reach out and call 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sunny Promolo for River City 360. Thanks, Sunny. If you or someone you know is a Winnipeg impact maker, as Sunny mentioned, you can call 204-944-9474, extension 360, and tell us all about it. We're always looking for good people doing good work right here in Winnipeg. Coming up next, we've got some can't-miss events that are taking place in Winnipeg, so stay tuned for that. We'll tell you all about some really cool things happening in the city. But before we get to that, here's Andre Kostelanitz with Moon River, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you today. And it's now time for our segment called This Week in Winnipeg, where we highlight some of the wonderful events that are taking place throughout our city this weekend. The first one we want to highlight is happening tomorrow, Friday, April 5th, and that is First Fridays in the Exchange. Uh, This is an event that happens the first Friday of every month, and uh, this month's iteration is similar to those other ones where there's a variety of galleries, uh, shops, restaurants that all open their doors uh, to people. And you can also take a variety of different tours throughout the exchange, self-guided tours. Um, Another event that's part of First Fridays is called the Art Talk Art Walk. And this month's topic is on the importance of arts in education. And it's being held with Art City's Josh Ruth and Eddie Ayoub, along with educator Stacey Abramson. So if you're interested, head on over to the Exchange District from 5 to 9 p.m. Again, that's uh, First Fridays in the Exchange, and you can learn more about what's happening or about some of the self-guided tours at firstfridayswinnipeg.org. Again, that's firstfridayswinnipeg.org. Another event that's taking place this weekend on Saturday, April 6th, as well as on Sunday, April 7th, is the Winnipeg Model Railroad Club's annual open house and train show. There's a variety of displays and demonstrations, including the model contest and photo contest entries. And that's happening at the Tank Room at the Charleswood Legion, 6003 Roblin Boulevard. Again, that's taking place Saturday, April 6th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and as well on Sunday, April 7th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Admission is by donation, and a portion of the proceeds from the event are being donated to support St. Amant. And on Saturday, April 6th, Winnipeg Jewish Theatre is holding its production of After Jerusalem. Um, This is a story that we covered back in episode three of our current season of River City 360, where we spoke with artistic director Ari Weinberg. He's also directing this play, and it's about a school teacher from Regina who tries to find love in Israel. Uh, she pretends to be a famous actress and winds up meeting a soldier. So this is a story with romance, intrigue, and it sort of is a homage to classic Hollywood films. So if you'd like to check out the opening of the ro- of the romantic comedy after Jerusalem. Uh, That is happening Saturday at 8 p.m. There's also a performance happening Sunday, April 7th at 2 p.m. But if you aren't able to make it this weekend, there are performances happening all through April 14th. And you can find information about all of the performances of After Jerusalem at wjt.ca. Again, that's wjt.ca. Thanks, Rob. We've got time for some more music before we say goodbye today. So here's the Nordisle Bois Orchestra with Waltz of the Flowers. You're listening to River City 360 on 93.7 CJNU.
That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us as well. And if you'd like to hear more River City 360, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation, in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the show as well. If you'd like to let us know how we're doing, if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future show, or if there's a song that you'd like to hear, give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, the number to call is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us online through Twitter or Facebook by searching at WPGFDN on Twitter or searching the Winnipeg Foundation on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.